Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and welcome to this podcast short from our signature show, Your Backstage Pass, featuring a special vignette from another great episode. The stories in your book when you talk about meeting Ozzy and and uh, and and Sharon and going to their house for the first time yeah. and the commun- and the communal breakfasts and all that stuff. The stories are absolutely wonderful. I, I really think people should pick up the book. That whole that that whole section I found really because I mean literally you sort of came from sleeping on was it Kevin's floor you were sleeping on? Yeah, Kevin's went? apartment. Yeah, he had a, uh, a, a guest room, and I slept on the on a sheet. Wow. On a sheet, on it had quite shy carpeting. Thank God, thank God for the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then from there, you end up in this palatial place with guest houses and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like overnight, overnight. Yeah. yeah. Basically, I wound up there because I couldn't get a ride back to where, where <laughs> to Kevin's place. So they just they say pick, you know, pick. Pick a bungalow, basically. They were just like a, a row of bungalows, and I just picked one, and that was it. And I stayed there. <laughs> wow. Did, I now, stayed did you there for up... the duration, yeah. Yeah, so that became your home, basically. Yeah, it did, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I was on the road with, uh, with, with Ozzy and everybody, including Sharon, the band, in the same bus. And then we would get off the bus, and I would go and, and, and stay with them. Wow. No, that's and so so you were treated really well. Oh my god, yes. Uh fantastic. And yeah. and so Ozzy, good guy, Sharon, good person. Sharon's, excellent, excellent people. Sharon's dad comes off as a bit of a badass. <laughs> well, they all were in that scene. I mean, they were talking about you know, the music the the music scene in in the fifties and sixties, you know. I mean, here's a man who was promoting Later on, he promoted, you know, the 60s rock bands. But before that, he was he was uh, Gene Vincent's manager in England right. and promoter. Right. And, and, you know, that circuit, and it was pretty tough. I mean, you know, I, it's, it's common knowledge that early rock and roll was transitional to that the people that ran the business were actually mafia. Yeah, mobsters. Mm-hmm. Mobsters, yeah. And, you know, the whole jukeboxes and, you know, and record companies and publishing deals and all that, you know. So it, it, had, it had its birth there. Now, I don't know how, how prevalent it is, it is now, but a friend of mine back in the late 80s, early 90s, he was road managing. He doesn't do that anymore. He basically runs his own touring company. But he was road managing and doing some shows in New York. And he's a he's he's like a mind, like a computer. He he can balance books to a nickel, you know, just to a, all, always, no matter how big the tour. And so he said he was, so it's the first time working in New York. And he sat down and they're doing, it's post-show and they're doing the, you know, the final tallying and stuff. He's going, okay, uh, this is yours, it's yours, okay, uh, everything's good. And there's a guy standing behind him, he goes, uh, I think you might have forgotten something here. He says, pardon me? And, it, and he's also very proud. He, like, he, he knows his numbers are, are on. So he, be, he became quite indignant, saying, I, I don't want to mention his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he says, I don't what are you talking about? My numbers are per- like, these numbers are perfect. He says, no, no, I, I think you may have missed something here. And the guy pulls back his shirt and there's a, he's wearing a piece. He's got a, a gun. And, and all of a sudden he went, Oh, so in New York, 
up until that point, there was still mafia involvement on shows where you had to part of your part of your tour was you had to pay these guys off and write it off so that the government wouldn't know about it and write it off into some sort of weird extraneous expenses. And I just I remember I found it really ironic that he was saying he says, oh, yeah, he says if McCartney plays New York, that has to happen. He says that's all the way up the board. You know? Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I never experienced that personally. But I play. I play the garden enough times, uh, Madison Square Garden, to know that when you play there, you just do it as a status status type of show, right? Because you can say, "Hey, we sold out the garden," but you, you're not going to make any money because of it's a, it's a very tough venue to get in and out. So you're going to go into extra time with the union and it's a union building. You cannot touch anything unless a union representative either is there with you or is actually handling it. So it's a very slow in and it's very slow out. Well, so what's your, what's your take on Billy Joel? I mean, he, he sells out Madison Square Gardens once a month now. That's his house gig. So, yeah, which makes so. sense because I'm talking about if you're doing one show... <laughs> Yeah, the in or the out is going to cost you what you're going to make playing there. But if you do multiple shows, you amortize that. Yeah, and you actually do make a lot of money. Right, right. Well, that, so yeah, so it's like if it's like if you're like Elton John is selling out five or seven nights, you, you, he's made a ton of dough. But yeah, those in and out costs, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the the upfront stuff sort of negates all the money that you would have made on a one nighter. Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand.